since this is the healthcare industry, we need to do it with empathy and being friendly. And there's a very thin line between being formal and conversational, which constantly has to be guarded. And there's a lot of emphasis on giving our customers what they need and giving our users what they need. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub, which is a platform that educate people about UX writing, content design, conversation design, and so on. We have a free UX writing course, a free AI for UX course for all of the UX folks out there that want to learn how to use AI tools. We have this nice podcast and we have also a weekly newsletter and a blog that we keep updating all the time. And today we have a fantastic guest. She's been in the UX writing community for a long time. Her name is Shawana Roveni. She's a conversation designer at a company named Hilo. Also a content designer, used to be a technical writer and basically been a writer for a long, long time. Shawana, how are you? Fine, great. And you? I'm very good. It took us only 30 minutes to set up this call. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes, not annoying at all. We have Hiro today and tomorrow. We're having all the employees' kids running around the office. So I guess HR hid everything they could and turned the podcast recording room into a desert. So I couldn't even find the microphone. But there you go. Yeah. Just happens sometimes. And that's we managed even to, to get a decent microphone in your end, so that's cool. So first of <laughs> all, what is a conversation designer and what is Hiro? Hiro takes data and turns it into conversational UX or conversations. What we do is many people explain it in different ways, but the way I like to explain it is that if you Think of ChatGPT, OpenAI, they scraped the entire internet until uh, 2021, more or less, and they are able to use that as a data source to converse in a natural way like a human would with the user and answer questions and help with all different kinds of flows and code and whatever. What Hyro does is we take specific our customers' data as opposed to the entire internet, for example, and we scrape that and construct that in ways that allow us to turn our customers' data into conversations. We have smart AI assistants that use NLP, natural language processing, in order to construct user interactions in the form of natural human conversation. And we do this in different channels, in voice assistants, in uh, in web assistants and all sorts of, of uh, multimodal uh, and combinations between them. And we do that in, mainly in the healthcare industry. We pivoted into the healthcare industry in the past few months. And we recently closed our round B. We managed to close a $20 million investment from different investors. So we're running ahead and trying to build up competitors in creating amazing conversational experience for our users, which in turn help our customers who are 
healthcare providers, mainly in the U.S., to achieve business goals that that otherwise would be had to be done either manually or had to be done by call centers and agents and so on. Our goal is to, on one hand, give the end users, the patients and people who use the healthcare system, uh, the best service they can with the best conversational experience they can on one hand. And on the other hand, let our customer achieve business goals and release the huge load they have on their call centers and the human agents so the human agents can stop handling all sorts of repetitive, manual, mundane tasks like reset password and help users access systems or, or records or uh, renew their prescriptions or schedule and manage appointments. We try to do all of that in our capacity, which keeps growing all the time. And the agents are now available for more complex, longer interactions with users that require uh, the human touch. So that's the the big uh, picture of what we do. The waiting time for call centers in healthcare providers in the US can be up to an hour sometimes. Uh, you can wait online for 30, 40, 50 minutes just in order to, to schedule an appointment or get your medical exam test result. We cut those waiting times immensely, which really helps our, our users get what they need in a comfortable way. It sounds really an amazing goal, to be honest. And I've been following your work and I know uh, one of your colleagues, which is a human being that I really like. Also, shout out to Ziv, that is also a, yeah. a huge superstar in your commercials, I must say. So that's yeah, cool. our head of marketing who is really, he really does an amazing job. Quite an interesting character, and I had the chance to meet with him in many, many different uh, intersections in my life, I must say, when, like, I don't know, we used to actually work together as salespeople in New York in a very oh, interesting gig. Yeah, anyway. He's really bright and he's a really fun guy to, to work with. 100%. But all the, all the people in Hyro are really good. This is, I think, I've been in the high-tech industry, in the global high-tech industry in Israel for quite a while now in different, wearing different hats. And Hyro is one of the, the most fun and bright and talented companies I've ever worked for uh, in, in speaking about the, the human resources. People here are both devoted and fun and geeky and it's a really great collection of people. So what's I really the secret, it. What's What's the secret sauce in your opinion for A, hiring you know, the right people be building the right culture for those people? It's hard because, well, Hyro officially is a startup. As I said, we just just uh, finished our round B. Thank you. So we're still pretty small. We're about 70 people together with the few who are working from the U.S., mainly sales, but also one of our R&D departments is in the U.S. almost entirely. Well, currently in Israel visiting, but... In general, we, we had our last few rounds of recruitment were really successful. I mean, I think that the VP engineer and VP product and the founders here are getting better and better and they are obviously in recruiting the right people, which is a combination of fire and passion with being able to put in the hard work and really striving to improve themselves constantly. I mean, we just last week, last Sunday and Monday, we had our annual hackathon, a 
an LLM themed hackathon, trying to find all sorts of ways. Well, we use LLMs all the time, but it's part of our daily work, but uh, taking a pause and trying to see new ways to improve existing processes and workflows and, and tools, internal tools and external tools with LLMs. And this hackathon was the third day of work for our new senior, uh, one of our new senior uh, programmers. And he just, I mean, his team won. He, on his third day of work, he wrote code that blew everyone, everyone's mind. And my team also have a few new, relatively new programmers that started working very fast and are really enthusiastic. And I think it's a learning process to find the right people, but because the company has so much potential and we keep thinking that we were, we're looking on our pipeline and so on, we see the, the real potential to really grow exponentially in the next year or so. It requires specific type of character, a combination of being able to work hard and also being kind and open and, and friendly and and devoted to the goals of the company. Our, our company values are pretty, well, every company has values. And I wrote quite enough tone of voice designs in my days as content designer. And many times you see companies with values that, you know, it's just something that you blow to the wind and nobody really lives it. But I think our two founders really are devoted to transparency and constantly improving the shows. And it's just when the top of the pyramid is acting, their mouth and their thoughts are the same, or at least so it seems, trickles down. And, and most of the team here is really, really devoted. So I don't envy HR. I don't think I could, I could do the job myself, but yeah, they do really good work here. Give me an example for the type of, you know, uh, values that are written as a brand, as a company, but you feel like people are aligning with them. We're talking about being kind, being open, being like hard worker. Transparency is very important. It really is something that the management leaves and trickles down. And you can see that it's something that's not just talked about, but actually is alive. We have some KPIs and some values, which I keep confusing all the time, but we have both values that are more personal, like transparency and working as a team and so on. And on the other hand, we have some very strong technical values that we strive to, such as going towards a codeless product or productizing our line of assistance. This is something that I think Hiro is interesting because it's it's working. It's the, the ecosystem we live in is really hot right now. AI and LLPs and LLMs and with the explosion of ChatGPT and all of its competitors about a year ago, everybody's trying to do this and it's very hard to do it properly. And I think Pyro has the right balance between running forward with technology and trying to humanize and keep the, the actual conversation the assistants manage in our focus. So it's a combination of running forward with technology and giving the users the best conversational experience as possible and given our customers, which are not the users, are the end users, the patients or the customers of the healthcare organizations we work for. But our customers are the healthcare organizations. It's like huge NJ's type or NJ's 
types of companies or healthcare operators or uh, medical uh, university campuses and so on. These are really huge. They have a huge amount of users. I mean, we have one of our marketing tools is that we just saw it last week on our all hands. There's a slide that our salespeople or marketing people like to use and every time the company sees it, we're thrown back that shows one of our customers chain of hospitals around the US and it shows Israel as a comparison and we're like tenth of the size of the area they cover in the United States and that's one of our smaller customers. We have a huge a number of users to cater for. Since this is the healthcare industry, we need to do it with empathy and being friendly. And there's a very thin line between being formal and conversational, which constantly has to be guarded. And there's a lot of emphasis on giving our customers what they need and giving our users what they need. And I think people here are really focused on on that. And I think the combination of being very human on one hand and technologically forward and cutting edge on the other is a good way to draw in the, the right employees. It's really interesting working here. Indeed. So what's the difference between a content designer or UX writer and conversation designer, which is what you are right now? I think conversation designer is like the next, kind of the next step of UX writing, but also it's sibling. As a content designer, UX writer, I used to write UX for one. And in addition to that, I would be part of the product lifecycle, helping to design flows and features, naming them, working with product managers and engineering and creating tone of voice design and style guide and all the, inf- and all the infrastructure that's required in order to create the daily work of a UX writer and maintain a cohesive, clear persona and use copy libraries and all the and design systems and all the, inf- all the infrastructure that supports uh, the day-to-day work of the content designer. And here, our conversation design is taking it to the next level. And instead of just, first of all, my job includes UX writing as well and content design as well. But the main task is because we don't have, we do have a UX designer, for example, but she works mainly on, there are not that many user interfaces that are graphical. 50% of our work is done on voice systems. So there's only voice interaction with the user conversation over phone. There's no graphic interface at all. And most of our UI is either in our dashboards and admin form or in the the web assistants, which are like miniature chats that you see on the bottom of the window of the the website. What is really important to remember is that opposed to bots, which are stupid bots, which operate using script and have very strict, they may have many different flows and many different decision trees, but the bottom line is that they have scripts they need to follow and they can't stray from them. Our assistants use NLP and AI in order to create, we don't have intents like ordinary bots do. And one of the best things about Hyward's system that is one of our main selling points is that you don't have, when you work with AI, you need to... I like to call it traditional AI, which is ridiculous because it's been already been around for what, three or four years. But when you work with AI, you need to train it. 
on your data, on your flows, on your workflows. There's no training with Hiro. Our implementation usually takes up to three weeks in huge customers and our assistants do their learning both while running and based on the dynamic scraping all the time. So you don't have to train the assistants in order to be able to know how to interact with the users. So let's put it this way. If the content designer does UX writing or micro copywriting, and in addition to that, create both the flows and it helps the design of the product and creates infrastructure for a UX writing, then the conversation designer creates the, the basic element here is the actual utterances or what the bot, the assistant actually says to the user, which is quite dynamic and uses a lot of different parameters and so on, and is based on NLP. And we use a lot of uh, OpenAI and so on in order to build our utterances. And in addition to that, I also write, I design the flows with product management of our new features and new skills and so on. And I create infrastructure for continuous, cohesive conversation design. So it's similar, but different because instead of creating user interface elements that are written like button CTAs, error messages, and so on, I create conversation, bits of conversation that are dynamically linked together in order to give the user, help them achieve the goal they're looking for. It's quite complex. I've been working here for like six months, and this is my first job as a conversation designer, as opposed to being a UX writer and content designer for the past few years before that. And I think there are not that many conversation designers in the world right now. I was on an online online meeting convention a couple of weeks ago, and there were about 250 people both online and on the site in London where the convention was held. And they said that we are a quarter of the world's population of, of conversation designers. So they say that there are a thousand conversation designers in the world. I assume that a year from now, there will be a million. So somehow I managed to put my feet in the door again, just like I did with the UX writing a few years ago. I managed to do it again and reinvent myself once more. It happens every few years in my career. So, and I'm pretty, I love that. That's really great. Nice. It's really important to reinvent yourself. This is something I'm also trying to do yeah. in my career mm-hmm. as well. Currently yeah. also, you know, diving really deep into AI and how us UX writers, UX folks in general could take AI and just create a better user experience, conversational, non-conversational, neutral, mm-hmm. but also trying to to do stuff like that. So I'm happy for you. Was this conference was by Conversation Design Institute? And well, Hans from Conversation Design Institute was one of the speakers. Mm, it was Antars. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Kane, uh, I think, was the, the manager. Mm, yeah, I, can, I think he was on the podcast too. Yeah, I think so too. Kane seems. Really amazing. It was a, a real, I mean... Two days of non-stop inspiration with all sorts of, uh, yeah, Kane Sims. What's the name of your company? <laughs> I'm looking at this. It is a... Yellow, uh, yellow. It's Voxwall. Yeah. That's the name. Yes. They also, have the, they also have a really great podcast. Yeah, it's a really vibrant community, the conversation design community, because it, the ground we walk on is not solid. Things change all the time 
And there's always the fear, which I, I know is also part of, of the lives of uh, many content designers these days, that the AI is going to replace us all and, and uh, the better ChatGPT gets, the less uh, they will need us. I go with what a few months ago, a ChatGPT, the OpenAI posted on LinkedIn, a status that said, ChatGPT is not going to replace you. A person who knows how to use ChatGPT is going to replace you. I think that's true. And OpenAI is, keeps changing so rapidly. And all of the other competitors, they keep changing so rapidly that I, I can't see how the human component can get out of the picture anytime soon. Maybe it will in a couple of years, but currently... All the conversation analyzes, they have really strong abilities in ChatGPT is much stronger in microcopy, Bard for now is a disaster. I mean, every time I do the mistake of asking Bard a UX writing question, I get something that causes me to facepalm. Oops, something went wrong. No, but each of them is, is good for something else. They're mainly good for inspiration. And, you know, when a company that works with LLMs is part of its core software needs to be very careful of the hallucinations and constantly think of how you reduce them. And we can't, I mean, we work with healthcare companies. We can't allow any type of, of uh, hallucination. We need to be very careful. And the human factor, there's no currently, God knows what will happen in a year or two, but currently none of the conversational AI is able to manage a conversation, a real conversation. They miss all the basic linguistic elements of speech, and they are not capable of holding a conversation at all. There are a lot of different things you need to be careful of when you're generating AI conversations with users, uncanny valley and so on. But in general, if you want the user to feel like they're having natural language, at the very least, conversation with an assistant, then you have to have a person who manages and designs the interaction. Even if you do use, and I use a lot of R&D in general here and, and myself also use a lot of, of open AI and other tools to improve certain elements over the conversation, but mostly and, and also mainly for improving data and, and understanding our users better. But mainly, I think that the human in, in the machine still has to be there. Otherwise, the result will be pretty lame and horrible and cause confusion and disambiguation and all sorts of bad feelings that no company in their right mind would want the users to have. That's something I couldn't agree more. Nobody knows what will happen, but definitely we yeah. need people and, and humans that know how to operate this AI stuff because even like I have this new side gig where I'm building right now this, I don't know, this website that's doing the books recap. So just creating that prompt for it is like, it's taking me days just to craft the right prompt to some call it prompt engineering, engineering yeah. some call it prompt design, whatever, but crafting the prompt that will make the machine create the type of content that you seek. It's something that takes time and you need to kind of learn how to speak to it in order to master it. And to be honest, I'm not sure what future would hold because I'm finding myself like thinking about new processes and then a new feature by OpenAI, ChatGPT, and then like it's kind of making me redesign my process because they have like yeah. this new plugin or this new feature or this new element that allow you to upload PDF files now. So you don't have mm -hmm. to kind of find, I always try to hack my solutions and then I see that they just released as a feature, you know? 
Yes, not to mention trying to do all that and limit hallucinations and, 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 and maintain a tone of voice while also doing it. So the more you, you find yourself writing prompts that go on forever. And prompt engineering, the, there was a lot of uh, talks about that in that convention, in the Unparsed convention. And the, the question was, uh, are we all going to be replaced by prompt engineers? And the main feeling there was that prompt engineering is not going to last very long. I mean, the actual part of prompt engineering itself is going to be covered by the AI. So it's like it's it's like the the snake who keeps uh, devouring itself. It keeps changing all the time, and the AI is evolving day by day. And yeah, it's it's very hard. We we really well we see it on every every each and every level of our lives these days. But we live in a, in a world that has zero up to zero control on anything, including this. And in order to keep some type of stability in your job and in your career in general, you need to be willing to embrace new technology and try to to constantly, like you do, always try to, to play with it and see what you can achieve and how you can use it for parts of your, of your work process and constantly optimize yourself while also being able to emphasize and also always express the unique value you bring as a as an expert to the table. I feel that companies that replace their UX writers, these days content designers with AI are going to go down and some of them, many of them already have you. You just can't, the, the human element is uh, is too strong to be faded out, at least currently. For now. <laughs> For now, yes. Again, God knows what uh, where maybe we'll be meeting at the unemployment office uh, six months from now, but only God knows what's coming up next. But for now, it's it's still all about humans. Again, you need to to be able to to harness all this technology in order to optimize your workflows and optimize your actual work and and try to stay on top of it. It's it's hard and it's scary. There's there's a lot of uncertainty. I assume well. I was about to say that the young people or people who just are starting their careers, like people who graduated from your academy and so on, looking for their first and second jobs, they must be under a lot of stress. But come to think of it, it's not like I'm with my 20-something years of experience. I'm not under a lot of stress with the state of the of the employment you know, situation these days. So yeah, uncertainty is the name of the game and the better you learn to, to adapt yourself to it. But that's a whole other podcast. Right, I agree. That's why yeah. we designed the program mm-hmm. with like a lot of AI content and that kind of stuff. You know, we can't forget the fact that there were like huge change in tech lately. So many yes. layoffs and so many companies. It's changed the landscape of recruiters and tech and UX even. So we kind of need to reinvent ourselves, and and that component is really really important. So never, never feel comfortable. Whether yeah. you are always, always know that there might be 20 very young years old person that will just learn this stuff really quickly. And that person would probably replace you faster than AI. So don't forget that. Yeah. Stay on top of everything. To be agile. I mean, uh, or as much as possible, you need to be, or at least flexible. You need to be able to change direction and, and embrace new technologies. And it's, I mean, I'm 47. I've been in this. I started as, a, as an IT in the IDF, in the Air Force, 
when I was 18 and then I was a tech support engineer for quite a few years before transitioning to, to technical writing and then nice. technical blog writing. And then English my mom used to take uh, afternoon naps. She used to love her schlafstunde. So I, my brother and I, my brothers and I, mine's babysitter when we were kids was Middle East television. <laughs> so I was watching English spoken television when I was like three, four. So yeah, TV. Really? Thanks, mom. TV. Yeah. Uh, I my, my I keep getting surprised that people that the young people these days don't know. I would expect them to know English. I mean, to speak English as good as they do speak Hebrew with all the internet and everything. I mean, they grew into the world of internet, but for some reason, I guess that's not the case. Well, there's enough internet in Hebrew, but yeah, and my writing is about a gazillion times better than my spoken English. So yeah, I've been working in. I mean, I've been writing technical English for quite a while now. Cool. So you've been in the IDF as an IT, and then you yeah. you mentioned your age also. So you've been you've been in tech for a while now. Keep inventing. Quite a while, yeah. Twenty seven years, unbelievable. Yeah, and and I think I I, I say that in order to encourage people to you know it's it really is scary the situation today these days in Israel specifically and in all around the world. You don't, we don't know where our next the next uh, blow is going to come. Uh, so pandemics and unemployment and war and what have you. So it really is important to keep yourself, well, it's a silly world, but agile, being able to take your career lightly and always be willing to learn and to admit it. You don't know things. I mean, I got this job openly admitting that I never did conversation design before. And I was told, well, obviously, because you're one of the first conversation designers in the world, if we employ you. So I've been spending my six first six months here constantly learning and uh, currently we're at the stage where uh, a product and engineering and I are working on improving my work and making things more on one hand developing flows and designing faster and on the other hand being way more technically involved with engineering so I'm going to go from the level of creating flows that are based on logic, business logic, like uh, did the user, uh, I don't know, I'm asking them a question, either they choose yes or no, and then I respond accordingly, I'm going to transition into a much lower level of technical flow design. So I will be looking at specific API calls and, and all sorts of how the our engineering actually takes the flows, product management and I create and turn that business logic into the actual code. So we're constantly looking for ways to optimize the way we work and our working uh, processes and constantly trying to make them leaner and faster and better and while constantly keeping the eye open and focusing on the user experience. So it's very, yeah, you need to be, I think I said it also on my the webinar I gave a few weeks ago. Threading for Competence, which was one of our favorites webinars so far, so... Cool. Uh, thank you. You need to be humble. You really need to be humble. It's easy to say and hard to do, but you need to keep your ego in check and and be a really willing to learn constantly every day and also pivot when, when necessary. And if I, at the age of 47, which is in, well, you know, 
in Japan, I would be considered a young uh, chick, but uh, in high tech, especially in the Israeli high tech uh, industry, I'm considered uh, half dead. So if I can do it, I think uh, it's a state of mind that, that needs to be embraced. And yeah, and you need to take it in order to survive in this industry, which isn't easy, especially as juniors, as we all know, trying to get your first and second and, and learn your skills and improve your skill sets and become, build a name and reputation for yourself. You need to be humble and you need to really be able to listen and interact with your team. And yeah, that's exactly the same in content design as it is in conversation design. It's a position that sits in the middle. It's a hub, course, organizational hub in software companies. And you need to, to be a channel for data flowing from each and every direction, R&D and program and product marketing and the customer success managers and solutions and the people who write, do the integrations. And you always need to be able to absorb information from all of the above and implement it in your work. Also, it's a good point to mention data. We need to be data-driven. So that's something else that's very important, both for UX and uh, conversational design. And you need to base your, your decisions on data and user testing and all the things that you promote constantly. So that's also very important. I don't know if my friends would, if you tell them, tell me, what is Sharona in one word? They will say, well, of course, she's humble. But in order to be a good professional and maintain the long, longevity of career, that's, I think, the main, the main thing you need to, to acquire. Humility. So my question to you would be, and we're, adding, we're getting into the end of our conversation, which, by the way, had so much fun, uh, and I'm having so much fun. Um, my question to you would be, okay, so you've positioned yourself as an expert and as a UX editor for those complicated B2B systems. Yes. And seeing your last webinar, I guess it was before Hyro or when you just started Hyro? Right? It was like it was, more than six months ago. No, it, I think it was like, it was in June, maybe? Oh, really? Oh, time. Yeah, it was after I, I came back from, from my holiday in London. Great. <laughs> what a world. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so my question is, hey, who is doing the UX writing at Hyrule? And like, is it you? <laughs> or is it someone else? No, it's, oh, it's me. Great. <laughs> I so have almost no time for it at all. But it's me, yeah. So in a perfect world, let's say that we are mm -hmm. living in a perfect world, our company is doing good, raising B, C, D, E rounds, and we're recruiting, and, and life is good, no layoffs, just exponential growth, whatever <laughs> we go. So what do you think should be the dynamics between the conversation designer and the UX writers, if any, should it be separated, how the infrastructure should look like with the product team, with the designers and so on. In a perfect world, in your, in your opinion. When I create, by the way, I'm creating a tone of voice design for our conversational UX. So that's, it's hard. I'm trying to take all the elements and standards I used to and best practices I used as a, as a content designer and apply them to conversation design. From what I heard in the, in the uh, convention I mentioned before, it's going to be really hard. So, uh, so, but I'm looking forward to it, to build the infrastructure for that. But I see these two, when, when you create a tone of voice design, when I create a tone of voice design, I, for, for an entire software company, not like I'm doing here, here it's 
tailored for a bit of UX writing and mainly conversational experience. But when you create the, the usual type of conversa- of uh, tone of voice design, you start with the high level, which is correct for the entire brand or software or company or whatever is the focus of the of the process. And then you start getting lower and lower and lower and branching out to specific channels. So after you construct the, the main characteristic and persona and the audience uh, analysis and, and the user journey, to use uh, an old people's term, and you build all of that base, you start to channel out how to create uh, style guides and best practices and golden rules and so on for the technical writers and for the marketing writers and for the UX and for the customer support and so on. And I think this is another channel. The content design and conversational design or conversation design, you ask two people and you get two different, it's like DevOps. Everyone has a different definition to it. I think it's sibling channels that need to be handled cohesively. The tone of voice needs to be the same for both. Obviously, the tone is different, but the voice is the same, the core characteristic and persona and so on. In a product like Hires, it's very complicated and interesting because each assistant has its own persona and it's not the same as Hires persona. That's why I'm doing the tone of voice for conversation design only, not for the entire brand, because the brand Hyro is a bit and technologically advanced and cutting edge and fun and young and 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 then that's what you'll see on our new website which just was just launched a few weeks ago and all of our social media and so on and the marketing stuff but the assistants themselves again are healthcare assistants so they have to be more formal and, uh, and empathetic and they talk in a completely different language and the UX writing is again different because it's kind of the middle way between the, the two of them because it's mostly used by the executives who use our dashboards and, admi- and IT and people who use our admin platform and also the users who use our web assistants. There's a very interesting play of an effort of constantly keeping cohesive persona on one hand and creating really different tones and voices and user journeys under that same big umbrella. So yeah, it's very complicated, but assume that there should be some type of, of like there's a, a product manager. I think they, they both fall under, I think, content design. Uh, I think that conversation design can sit comfortably under the title of conversation design. I just, I don't know, I'm, uh, when I work with Jira and so on, I, I'm trying to create all sorts of uh, statuses and the, the infrastructure for myself to work on, uh, on tickets and so on. And I just decided that instead of creating different labels for conversation design and content design, I'm just going to call both of them CD. And I'll know myself which goes to each direction. So I think you can you can yes. label all of that under a CD, which would be both content design and conversation design. And and obviously each of the of the hopefully two years from now there will be a, a content design unit in or division in in high road that will include both I think conversation designers and UX writers. And probably some technical writers as well, though, you know, there's technical writing is not what it's used to be. It's really harder these days to take it away for the customer facing people in the company. So maybe, maybe it's wiser to have the technical writer under, under marketing. I don't know. It's really not again under marketing, but under solutions. That's something to think about. But conversation design and content design are two arms of the same body, I think. The heart is the same, the the mind is the same, and each hand uh, does what it has to do. 
I should write a blog post on that. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one because like we talk about it all the time, but we have such a bad alignment in our community, in our industry about like how, what the title should be and yeah. the responsibilities. And lately, because of the layoffs, you see many UX writers that turn into also copyright positions and you have now UX copywriters and all of those. At the end of the day, all of us are writers in tech. Right? People that write for digital products, digital experiences, design conversations, and so on. I think that once you understand, tone of voice as a concept is really at the heart of it. I mean, if you're a really good writer and you understand the tech, because if you don't understand the tech, you won't survive in complex systems. And then you are able to navigate. Obviously, people can't be good at everything, but there's, there's a strong base that allows you to, to be more flexible in doing both. Here, the, actually, we, we see it. I mean, I was recruited together as a conversation designer, together with the UX designer. And we both sit under the, our manager is the head of design of the company. So she manages both UX, all the elements of UX and, and conversation design under that. And we sit under product, which is where I think this uh, we have to be. I mean, there are companies where the UX writers and so on sit under marketing. And I think it's a huge mistake because the drive behind your, your work is completely different. I mean, I'm not focused on selling. I'm focused on giving the user the best experience and, and giving them and helping them achieve their goals, which is quite different. Looking at the design as a whole, including all of its elements, the flow design and the actual life cycle of the product and the UX design and the terminology built into it and the UX writing built into it and the conversation design that is, in our case, a very important uh, uh, part of it. I think it's the right way to look at it. I mean, it's all different elements of design and what we're designing is human uh, interactions with, uh, between, uh, between a computer and uh, a human user. It's all the different uh, types of, of ways and technologies and, and tools and uh, best practices you use in order to achieve that. Our goal is to have, if our users are happy and get what they need in a timely manner with zero disambiguation and hard feeling and frustrations are happy at the end of the interaction, then our customers are happy and Hyro is happy and that's the goal. My question to you would be, how do you think you should name this episode? Oh, good question. I'm drawn in towards conversation with conversation designing, but hmm, how should we name this episode? I'm trying to think of something that relates to the way we started, like uh, forget about the mic and let's just talk or something like that. And we will connect that to conversation design. Which is kind of, of uh, the right metaphor because when you, I mean, I spent like 20 minutes searching for the mic uh, and, uh, and you were patiently waiting or not patiently waiting on the other side, probably wishing I were dead. And well, I was also wishing, no, I was patient, because, I was you know, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a bit embarrassing. But you need to be stay focused on the, on the goal. And I mean, the mic is only the tool, the main thing. Here is the interaction between me and you and, uh, and us and your, your audience, so uh, the community. So maybe there's a way to, to link all that. By... Let's, uh, let me think about it. Let, let me think I about trust it. you. You will find a way. Or you can let uh, ChatGPT just write something. 
jot something down. Uh, you know that, that that that's what I would do anyway. Yeah, but uh, I have this trick lately where I, I take the trans the recording, oh. I put it in this like AI transcript creator mm -hmm. just so I would have a transcript, and then it's called Fireflies AI. So it can do one of the two things: either it, like create like and like the main topics that we've talked about, and then I just dropped it drop it into ChatGPT, and I'm like. Based on those key points, how do you think we should end this episode? And then I get some interesting takes also from AI. So that's the process that I'm doing. And then I'm also considering what we've talked. And I'm asking every guest this, every guest I'm asking this uh, question. So it's kind of a mix between like editing and AI and a lot of fun. But I think something around like the evolution of conversation design or uh, maybe something different, I will, I will think about it. I trust you to find the best. Uh... Thank you. Thank you, Shawana. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, being here today. Thank it you. It's been a pleasure. It's, it's a longer episode. Yeah. And usually the longer episodes are the one that when I'm like really fascinated. <laughs> so I'm just, just keep the conversation going. So it was good. Maybe and that's the title. Keep the conversation going. Oh my God. That's a good <laughs> one. Keep the conversation and then like curly brackets, design, gold. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, uh, Shawana. It was fun having you today. And thank you, the listener that stayed all the way until here. If you stayed all the way, first of all, thank you for listening to us. What do you remember with? Before you go, just rate us. Rate this episode. Leave us a comment on Spotify. That's in your features on Spotify. You can leave comments. You could... You could give us a five-star review. You could. And uh, here is a word called Lefal again. Lefal again wants just to do good for us and help us out to spread the world. We would love to maybe increase the amount of listeners that we have so more. And people could get value out of it. We talked about AI, conversation, design, UX writing, a lot of good stuff. So I think it could give a lot of value to many, many people. So also share this episode if you think it was good. And check the UX Writing Hub's website. We have a free UX Writing course, as I said, and also a lot of good uh, stuff. Like we've created a summer book list. So check out our blog and check out our summer book list and other good stuff. Pinky promise. I see you next time. Thank you so much. Bye.